Awesome. Good morning, everyone. Thank you. Well, as always, it's a real uh, pleasure to get to join with you guys. Um, it's always exciting to get to, to come over the hill. And uh, my, my parents were visiting uh, over, over the New Year's, and they said, now, now, how often do you guys go over the mountain? And, um, and I thought, well, thankfully, it's a matter of perspective. We don't quite consider it the mountain. So I've come over from uh, sunny Wairarapa today. Um, and my wife and my son were planning on uh, joining us today. But um, after being awake for three hours in the middle of the night, uh, my wife turned to me and said, I, I think I'll sleep in. And that was a fair call, I think. Um, it's a new year. New years are exciting times. Um, times where a lot of us decide to make some change. I'm not sure if many of you guys have made New Year's resolutions. As I was just driving over the hill today, I was, I was just really seeking the Lord. And, and it just struck me how often, um, how often we do this. Another year, another church service. Um, I travel very widely amongst different churches, so I end up being away from home about 40 Sundays a year. And, um, and I just end up going, Lord, Lord, what are we doing here? And, and I believe even in this year, the Word of God still has the power to change our lives. That The teaching of Scripture and the application of the instruction of the Spirit is what we are being called to as the church to, to seek after our God. And, and I thought, Lord... We, we keep going through this, just the number of people that end up coming to church day in, day out, year in, year out, the number of times I let my heart be so untouched by Scripture. And I wonder this year if, if you would join me, would, would you stand in faith today that the Word of God would touch our hearts and that we would be changed by His uh, his teaching and his instruction for us. Today we're going to be starting a series that we're going to work through over the next couple of months. I'm going to be uh, taking you guys through the book of Ephesians. And it's a, it's a power-packed punch, this stuff. I'll, I'll give you a word to the wise, and I, I repeat this a few times uh, throughout the series. If you don't want Scripture to challenge you, if, if you don't want the instruction of the Spirit to become annoyingly specific in your life, don't look at Ephesians. It's a, it's a, it's a good book for getting into those tricky places. And, and I hope that we would just allow the Spirit to really change the way we think and the way we act and the way we live as we consider His Word for this. As many of you know better than me, a marriage is, is full of many compromises and, and transitions. And, and I think this is especially true when the couple comes from two different cultural backgrounds. My wife and I, we've been married for about two and a half years now. And um, understandably, we've had our, our fair share of negotiating, uh, knowing word to the wise, uh, the wise saying, um, happy wife happy life. Uh, we've both come to accept that some negotiations, she will win. And that we leave it there mostly. Um, and so that's why uh, we now start celebrating Christmas in November and kind of continue it through to March. And uh, why I'm not allowed chickens, because that's negotiation apparently. Uh, another thing that we've had to negotiate in my family is the fact that I come from a family of four. Uh, children, sorry, a family of six all up, but Grace is, a, is an only child. And not only do I come from you know, a family of six, but, but we all have very large personalities. And so when we gather together around a dinner table, it sounds like there's at least 10 there. 
Grace grew up with just her mum in a very close family. Uh, she is the only child of her parents, uh, the only close grandchild of her grandparents. She even had her great grandparents live into her hundreds and into their hundreds. So, so while we're both dedicated to families, uh, our experience of that has been quite different. And and she's she's having to wrestle with the fact that she has siblings now. I think we have a, a fir- the first picture there is a, a picture of my family. This was taken on our wedding day and, and I think you just catch a picture of some of the personalities that are coming through there. My, uh, my twin brother, the second, uh, the blonde there, uh, was undoing his shirt to see how many buttons he could get undone before my mum smacked him. My, my brother in the middle is just trying to make sure he's on his tiptoes so he's taller than everyone else. It's, it's fun. But that's family for you, right? Family, whether it's, whether it's with our parents or with our siblings or with our children, little else in the world can cause such frustration and conflict. But likewise, little else can be so precious and comfort us so deeply. Family is a pretty powerful thing. And over the six weeks that we walk through these chapters in the book of Ephesians, which is in essence all about family, we're gonna consider this. We're gonna consider what Christ's bringing us into unity as family really means. According to New Testament scholar Daniel Willis, if we just go on to that next slide, the theme of Ephesians may be stated pragmatically as Christians get along with each other, maintain the unity practically, which Christ has affected positionally, by his death. Tim Mackey of the Bible Project claims in the book of Ephesians, we see how the gospel story affects believers' everyday lives. God the Father planned throughout history for Jesus to create a multi-ethnic community of followers comprised of Jews and non-Jews. These followers form the covenant family God promised to Abraham and they live in unity as one body in their families and their neighborhoods and churches because of God's grace. If we wanted to state it really simply, what Ephesians is telling us, because of God's grace, because of the amazing grace of our Lord, things change in Christ as we live as a family. The book of Ephesians is divided into two halves. And I hope you'll come along with me in this journey as we explore both of them. The first, chapters one to three, outlines the nature of our salvation, particularly with reference to the multi-ethnic community of faith. Christ has adopted and redeemed us, and and we consider that it's deep, meaty stuff. Chapters four through six go into what this then means practically for us to be part of this community of faith. I'll be honest, as, as I sat down and looked at the material that we were gonna be going through and prepared, I feel that we could easily spend three or four times as long going through this book. The book of Ephesians is considered by some scholars to be the most concise, theologically rich book in the Bible. And I feel like we're just cherry picking some of the main points as we go through it. I think we need to remember though that despite the richness of Ephesians, let's not get it wrong, it's, let's not get too excited. It's not a comfortable book. It sits among the most challenging parts of Scripture and contains glorious truths that highlight the fact that we have been made in Christ to be His children. 
but we're not allowed to take that statement. We're not allowed to claim that truth for ourselves unless we are allowing it for it to be claimed by others as well, that we have all come to be the children of God. The issues that Paul addresses in the church of Ephesians are not so different from many of the issues that we grapple with today, whether it's with our employers or our children or our spouses, the various relationships that we all have, they take work, they take grace. And at some point with each one of them, we are going to be tempted to throw in the towel, claiming it's not worth it. But through Paul in the Holy Spirit, I believe we are being called to reckon and wrestle more deeply with what it means to be adopted into Christ and to be sealed by his Holy Spirit and to therefore stand as a family. Paul describes these truths as unsearchable riches. And in light of these riches, surely the way we treat each other, the way we live together is the aroma of Christ in this perishing world. It changes And so there are few things that the devil seeks to undermine more than our relationships with family, both natural family and supernatural family. That's why offense and bitterness and grievance are such common sources of division. Because frankly, the devil cannot stand it when we dwell together richly in unity and love. And I think each one of us when faced with the idiosyncrasies or different personalities or even perhaps just the shallowness and sinfulness of a brother and sister have been tempted to give into anger or resentment or judgment. Then the book of Ephesians is revealing to us the necessarily familial nature of our faith. It is underscoring the fact that whether we like it or not, we have not been saved alone. And and I think, frankly, quite often we're tempted to not like that very much. We'd love to have been saved alone. The power that is for us in Christ, we know by uh, by virtue of being connected to and grounded in his love, which is also for each one of our brothers and sisters. Family is messy. Family is challenging. Family is demanding. But family, especially the family of Christ by God's design is the most powerful force in each one of our lives for blessing and grounding and love and sanctification. No wonder the devil seeks to destroy it. The simple truth of the matter is that if the radical beauty of the gospel is not enough to touch our families and to lead us to live in unity with those in the body of Christ, then we will never have anything worth offering those outside of Christ. If we cannot take the truths of the gospel and see that it calls us to live differently and treat those within the body of Christ differently, our message will never sell with the world. In Matthew 6, Christ teaches his disciples how to pray. And he starts by saying, Our Father, He starts by saying, our father. It's not my father. You know, Jesus would have been right to say, pray like this, my father. He's talking to his father, Christ. He didn't say, your father. That would also be theologically correct. Your father, which art in heaven. But he said, our father. Because when we call on the name of the Lord, we call on him as virtue of his children. We stand as a family. He's our father, and that makes us siblings. I pray over the course of these six weeks as we walk through Ephesians that we would be taught 
to cherish the family of God. Today we're going to talk about the two main thoughts that Paul has in chapter one of Ephesians. Following his greeting, Paul starts this book by reflecting on the greatness of the blessing that we know in Christ. In the Greek, verses one through to 14 is just one long sentence. It's, it's almost as if Paul forgets himself for a moment and just starts overflowing when usually he's very logical and progressive and carefully working through his thoughts. He goes off on this long sentence that just flows out from within him as he considers all that we have been given in Christ. I wonder if we could bring up that slide with that passage. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory." This is, this is meaty stuff. When I lived in Kenya, I was educated in Kenya after growing up in Mozambique. I went to a boarding school there for a number of years. And as I was there, I had a number of friends who were adopted. And they were naturally from Kenya or Burundi or Tanzania, but their parents had specifically chosen them. And because of that, they were automatically given a new nationality. And with this new nationality came new rights and privileges, not by virtue of anything they had done, but simply by virtue of who their parents were. I believe that the most powerful, transformative revelation that you can have is to reckon with who Christ is and who you are in Christ. I think many of us go, Christ, he's the Lord, he's our savior. But who are you in Christ? What does adoption mean for you to have been claimed by our Lord, to have been sought out specifically for Christ to have made you his child? Paul goes on to outline a number of glorious, grounding, liberating theological truths in this passage. And we see more and more clearly who Christ is and, and who we are in Christ. That next slide there outlines this. That he chose us before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. That we have been predestined for adoption. And that we have redemption through his blood. This is the forgiveness of our trespasses. And so we have lavished grace, wisdom, 
and insight. You know, I think we could spend weeks unpacking what this means in our lives. These are, these are mighty things to consider. We have been chosen by God, adopted, claimed. How does that change the way you carry yourself as we walk about in our lives? Christ seeks to answer our prayers that his kingdom would come and that his will would be done. But look at verse 10. This is how it happens. This is how the kingdom of God comes in our midst. That he unravels his plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Maybe this is a message that the church needs in the time that we're living in today. In a time when offense and grievance and bitterness can so easily arise in our hearts. Let us remember that God's plan for the fullness of time, his ultimate mic drop moment, the way the kingdom comes is through us letting his unity touch us and change the way we treat each other. That is the calling for the kingdom of God. That is the calling for the body of Christ. It's a powerful thing to consider, but Paul doesn't actually start there. If we go back to verse three, he starts by blessing the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ. What does this mean? I believe that when you start to take God's word for the truth it is, when, when you start letting the word of God penetrate your heart, when you believe in faith, the remarkable, the truly astonishing things that scripture tells about you, when despite the age of of self-definition that we live in, you grab hold of the identity that you have in Christ, not by virtue of who you are or what you've done, but by virtue of who he is and what he has done. When we believe that we are the children of God, our lives will endlessly, effortlessly, passionately overflow with praise and blessing to the name of God. When we reflect on what we have been given in Christ, when we consider the redemption and the forgiveness and the grace that we know, not stingingly, not sparingly, but lavishly. I love that word. It makes me think of a, the only time I would use the word lavishly is it was when I'm talking about how much cream I'm gonna put on my pudding. A lavish portion of cream. It's just generous. When simply put, we reflect on what it means to be the children of God, we will overflow with praise. We will forget ourselves as Paul does. And this is right. This is the only right response. Look at verses six and 12 and 14. I think there's a, another slide for that. We have been adopted to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious Grace. We have obtained an inheritance to the praise of his glory. We acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Hear me clearly. The fitting and proper response to every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places being offered to you because who you are in Christ and because of who Christ is, is praise. And we see this not only in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. 
You know, Scripture is one great prototype telling us a singular story. Go back 2,000 years before Christ. When Moses went to Pharaoh in Exodus, what did he say to Pharaoh? Do you remember? Let my people go that they may worship me. The intention of God since the beginning of time, since the foundation of the world has been to liberate the orphaned and the enslaved through Christ, to adopt them into his family and make them his children that they may worship him. You have been adopted and predestined, not as a result of your choosing. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, there's a whole lot of theology to unpack there. I don't want to get into that. What does that mean? I'm just reading it. It says we're predestined. It says we're adopted. I don't always know what that means. These are deep things. But you know what it means? It means I'm a child of God. That's what it means. That, that he has claimed me and the fitting and proper response to an inheritance beyond our understanding such as this is praise. I want you to know, not just this morning, in every moment of your life, it is for praise that you have been adopted. It is for praise that you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. It is for praise that we have an inheritance. It is so that the worthiness and the glory and the splendor of the name of Jesus Christ might be exalted and magnified in his children. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. So as we go into this year, as we step into this series, let praise ever rise in your hearts for the glory of who Christ is and what he has accomplished in our lives. Let our lives be defined by praise for our worthy king. And it is, I believe, this reason primarily that Christians gather together each week. I think there's a lot of confusion sometimes around why we have churches. Why do we gather in large numbers as communities on Sundays? Why can we not just gather in small groups during the week? Is that not the same thing? There are several reasons for this. It, it fits into a big question. I can't go in all of it today. But I would simply say that the first reason so that we as a body, as a family, join together in one voice and in one prayer, giving praise to our Lord. With those that we do our daily life with and maybe those who we don't do our daily life with. Those that we are close to and those that we don't know as well. But we come together in unity and in love under the name of Christ to declare the praise of our Lord. We cannot truly grapple with the magnitude of God's goodness to us without also realizing that it wasn't only for us. It was for the family of Christ, which we are a part of. It was for a whole new community of transformed people who in light of the love and grace of our Father would live lives together that are different, which are fixed on pleasing our Lord because he's worthy of our lives being lifted up in praise. And Paul now transitions from these great truths of adoption and lavished grace and the gift of the Holy Spirit to what this produces within our lives. Firstly, we've already seen that it produces praise. It makes us hungry to worship the Lord. Paul shows us that it also produces other fruits in our lives. He says that he has heard of their faith. Let's read this passage 
For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him up from the dead and seated him at the, his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all power, also, excuse me, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. He says that he has heard of the faith, they're believing in God's word and that this has produced love, not for God and not even for the world. Both of those would be right, but it has produced love for the saints. As our lives are transformed by our identities being grounded in who God is and who we are in Christ, we respond in praise. But we also respond in love. Offense covering, sometimes even sin covering, patience bearing love. This is another reason the church gathers together. That we might love on one another, that we might be a strong, caring, supportive community. So seeing this praise, seeing this love, Paul goes on to pray five specific things. Two things within our spirit which enable us to understand three things. Let's work through these. I think there's another slide there. He prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. He prays that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, that we would know the hope to which we've been called, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. I don't know about you guys. I read through this and I just go, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. This is good stuff. I don't know. I, I'm just... I'm feeling a little bit more excited than maybe you guys seem. This is, this is transformative stuff. Let this pierce our hearts. What more does our world need than unity and love? Maybe some hope. Let's add some hope in there. Let's, let's have our hearts enlightened. Let's let the glorious riches of our inheritance raise us up in joy. And you know what? Just to finish it off, let's put some power from on high. Not, not just any kind of power. The immeasurable greatness of his power towards us. I want you guys, everyone say immeasurable. It makes me think of lavished. It's just the generosity of our Lord. It makes me excited. It makes me excited to be part of this family. This is unique. This is different. This isn't what we see in the world. At university, much of the time that I spent there was spent studying history and philosophy. And one of the periods of history which is particularly significant for both politics and theology is what's called the Enlightenment period. 
This was a period of time which ran from the 17th and 18th centuries and was the intellectual foundation for the the Renaissance and, and liberalism and the French and American revolutions. Simply put, man fell deeply in love once again with his own intellect, his own knowledge and and human wisdom. Whether it was Voltaire or Hume or Locke in the eyes of enlightenment thinkers, man is capable of acquiring and achieving within themselves all that they need. But you you don't need to have gone to university to know, to see clearly that that's just not exactly true, is it? And it's certainly not what the Bible teaches us, no. Scripture tells us actually that the cross is foolishness and insult to the world, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the very power of God. Let us always remember that our salvation is such a miraculous, remarkable, glorious work of God that it could never happen by any earthly means. No human understanding, no worldly wisdom will ever lead you to Christ. Ephesians 16 actually calls us to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. The strength of the might of the Lord is that each person who knows Christ as their savior, every member of the family of Christ, which we are a part of, has had the Holy Spirit supernaturally reach into their lives giving us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. And the spirit has touched the eyes of our hearts so that we might be enlightened. I wanna cry out to God for a deeper spirit of wisdom. I wanna have the eyes of my hearts enlightened. And that's what Paul is praying for more and more, that the vision of our spirit and heart would be improved even more. You know, we live in a time of such distraction, such distraction, not least of all in the church. The pursuit of so many trivial, meaningless, fleeting things. And you know why? I think it's because our vision is not clarified in the way it needs to be. And striving more, working harder, rebuking your brother and sister isn't gonna get us there. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives to come and supernaturally touch us. You know the best place to have that happen in our hearts? On our knees and worship before the Lord. The Lord has a way of just clarifying our vision and correcting our priorities when we lay ourselves down before the Lord. As we respond in praise to the work of God in our lives, as as that leads us to love our brothers and sisters more, the Spirit of God will enable you to walk in supernatural wisdom and revealed knowledge with enlightened heart. And when you know the enlightenment of God and not of man, then and only then will we begin to understand the wonder of the hope to which we've been called. You see, if you're walking around in your life pursuing the priorities of this world, if the eyes of your heart haven't been clarified yet, eternity with Christ singing his praise, unity in the body. Yeah, it sounds all right. It's not gonna capture your spirit the same way though. You know, it's not until we allow Christ to change our priorities, then hope overwhelms us. Oh, you know, I sat down in a small group on Tuesday last week and and in a time when we seem to all be talking about COVID, all talking about, is the economy about to collapse? What's happening in this world? 
we sat down and they said, you know, I don't know if 2020 is going to be a, a bed of roses. I don't know why we say that anyway. A bed of roses would, would not be very pleasant. But um, it, it's not going to be a straight, uh, easy sailing. Um, but we talked about the hope that we have. We talked about the peace that passes understanding. It's beyond something that we grab hold of intellectually. We, we talked about the joy of the Spirit that is our strength. These are the riches of his glorious inheritance. This is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. But I wonder today, maybe you claim that your life or your situation lacks hope. Or perhaps do you struggle to believe that there are riches of a glorious inheritance for you in the family of God? Can you maybe not see the immeasurable power that is for you? Then stand with Paul. Bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Claim his holiness, his blamelessness, the predestination that you had nothing to do with, that just allowed you to be adopted into the kingdom and to be purchased by Christ as a me, by means of his sacrifice to the praise of his glorious grace. Realize that not only have you been given these great riches, but you have been given to, they have been given to you in a family which stands around you. Christians have been known for many things over the centuries, often very good things, often very horrific things. I think we've discussed before the, the legacy of colonialism and slavery, racism and oppression were just part of the heritage I had to wrestle with as a child of missionaries in Mozambique. But ultimately, Christ gave us one marker, one thing that would reveal us to be his disciples. John 13 tells us that it is by our love for one another, for those in the family of Christ, for those who have also been adopted, who have also been sealed by the Holy Spirit, who have also received glorious inheritance that the world would know we are different. And I think the church struggles that with, with that quite often, with bearing with one another patiently. But you know why I believe Christ gave us this one marker? Why he said of everything that I'm telling you, this is the thing that will set you apart? Because the world knows that family is hard. The world knows that it's difficult, impossible, maybe even sometimes it seems, to walk in love and forgiveness, to resist bitterness and offense. Sometimes especially with those who are closest to us. And so, in the light of the love of Christ, the salvation that we know, is it not so simply magnificent? The hope that we've been called to so enticing, the inheritance we claim so satisfying, that surely, as we started out with, things claim, sorry, things change because of Jesus. The world looks at us and they will know, they will know that we are different because they know family's hard and if they see us doing family well, they'll see that something's changed. In our cities, surely things change because of Jesus. In our workplaces, things change because of Jesus. In, in our marriages, certainly things change because of Jesus. Let us, as the family of Christ, live differently because of Jesus. That's the simple message of Ephesians. Have you called on the name of the Lord? Then you have great immeasurable riches for you. Live in light of that. Live out of that. Get excited by it. Lay yourself down and worship before the Lord and be changed by it. 
and then live as a transformer in this world. I wonder if uh, the worship team could just come back on that main stage there and, and we're gonna respond to this passage in the only fitting way, uh, which is worship. We're gonna lift up the name of Jesus as his children. And as the, the worship team just come, I wonder in both rooms, if you would just stand, I wanna speak out a benediction over you guys. And So just stand and if you feel comfortable, place yourself in a position where you are able to receive this blessing, reach out to God now because he's seeking each one of us. And so as a son of God, as a bearer of his immeasurable power in the name of Christ, I speak out life and blessing over each one of you. And for the saint who is yet to know the secure identity of being safely found in Christ, I pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal the love of God, which chose you from the beginning of time. For the saint whose spiritual sight is failing, I pray fresh enlightenment of the revelation of God, that the spirit of wisdom would invade your life and that you would testify to the deep things of our Lord. For the saint who walks without hope, I pray that the God of all hope would radically intervene and reveal to you the glory of the hope to which you have been called. For the saint who walks without the empowerment of God through his anointing, I pray that you would be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and that you would walk in the supernatural calling and the enabling of God in your life. Now Paul prays this to him who was raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. He who is above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come, who has all things under his feet and who has given his head over all things to the church. He who fills all in all. To him be praise and glory. Father, we pray right now that you would enable your people to praise. Would you anoint us, Lord, to worship you in holiness and truth? And just as, I think this is my favorite part of every service. As the word of God has come out, the scripture tells us that it does not return void, but it accomplishes every purpose for which it was attended. And I believe that the word of God that has been spoken out this morning will come back with fruit. And so if you feel God moving in your heart right now, if, if you don't know the adoption of the Lord yet, we need, to, we need to have a chat. There's some good news for you. If you don't know the empowering of God, do you not know the riches of the inheritance which are yours as a child of God? So if there are elders in that main auditorium, I wonder if you could just go to the front and receive those who want prayer and ministry. In this room, if you do not know the Lord, there is hope and joy and peace like you do not know. If you do know the Lord, there is an inheritance that each one of us is, is too finite to comprehend. But I don't wanna to get to a place in my life where I've had enough of the inheritance of God. I don't wanna get to a place where I think I've had my full of the immeasurable nature of His power. I want more of God. And so as we engage now in more worship, let us cry out to God and let us stand as a family let us stand with our brothers and sisters as we cry out for more of Him. Amen.